Okay, so hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of The Flow Global. This is where we connect with global first entrepreneurs and tech experts from all around the world. Our guest today is Ashwin Beskren, VP of Engineering at ZeroX. Ashwin, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Vid. Thank you for having me. Good morning to you as well. Ashwin, you've got a wealth of experience in engineering, right? So with a background at companies like at VMware, like at Citrix, Cisco. So could you briefly maybe walk us through your career journey? Sure, sure. Um, we could spend the whole whole uh, hour talking about that. <laughs> uh, so I've been uh, in the industry since uh, since the you know mid '90s or so. Uh, so a lot of uh, variety uh, because the industry has been changing uh, through the through the course of that time. So I started off doing some you know protocol development on for satellite networks uh, way back when. I dabbled in telecom and then I spent almost 20 years in uh, infrastructure companies. So basically networking and security primarily. Um, so that was uh, I did that at a startup for a few years uh, and obviously spent a lot of time at Citrix and then VMware. And then most recently, about a year and a half ago, uh, trying something new with uh, with moving into crypto. So actually, you have seen this evolution, I guess, of global engineering practices during your time at Cisco. Yeah, we were <laughs> so th those companies that are they're true. Truly, kind of global first companies with with teammates all around the world, right? So also zero X Labs, the uh, <clears throat> has teammates in different countries, as far as I know. So can you can you share uh, maybe uh, some specific moment where where understanding uh, a regional like a tech trend or cultural nuance, you know, influence somehow your 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 project at maybe zero X Labs or in your previous roles. That's an interesting question. Um, I think one of the core learnings is that uh, you know there's always a center of gravity in the company. Uh, it's maybe where the company was founded. It's maybe where the company has the most employees. It's maybe where the senior leaders of the company are, and that tends to drive the cultural practices of that company. Um, and so I think, for example, when I was at Citrix, which was probably the first global um, uh, experience that I really had. Obviously, Cisco was already a global company, but I was, you know, I was a relatively junior IC at the time, and I didn't have a lot of interaction with people in other uh, geographies. Um, and you find that, you know, you have, for example, uh, one of the, uh, I think it was maybe the CTO or the uh, chief strategy person uh, for Citrix was based in Australia at the time. And so you ended up kind of interacting a lot with them, hearing a lot from them. You know, they were obviously driving some of the technical direction of the company. And you could see that, you know, maybe they have a certain way of talking or working or the, the certain hours that they keep or, or things like that. Um, one of the things we found, or at least I found interesting at the time because I was still new to this was, yeah, they can be quite informal. Um, and, you know, growing up uh, in India, uh, there's definitely more formality that I was used to. Uh, it, India has changed a lot, <laughs> but, uh, but you know, at the time, there was a, there was a little, more, little more formality. And, of course, the U.S., you know, um, a lot of the sort of the tech giants are, are U.S.-based companies. So, obviously, there's a lot of, you know, U.S.-based culture that comes in. 
Uh, and then as you spend time, you kind of see like, yeah, there's kind of this difference between West Coast and East Coast companies. Maybe the New York, Boston-based companies have a little bit different culture than like the Silicon Valley companies. And so you you start to see these these nuances. You start to see a little bit of, uh, you know, how that impacts the way the company operates, right? So can you, you know, do you wear casual clothing when you go into the office or do you wear slightly, you know, business casual when you when you go in? Uh, you know, do you go on first name basis with the CEO the first day or, you know, do you wait a few days? <laughs> uh, things like that. So you, you pick up on those on those nuances. But I think uh, Citrix was the point where I really kind of started to see these things because it was truly global. And we had, you know, US based company, large presence in India, large presence in China, uh, presence in the UK and important sort of company leaders uh, based in Australia. So you really see the influence of these uh, of these different cultures and just your day-to-day, -day, uh, how you work and who you work with. And, and reflecting on your journey from major tech companies to leading at uh, 0x Labs, how have um, you <clears throat> adjusted your engineering leadership style to keep up with this fast-changing tech world? Yeah, that's a good question. I think the main difference uh, in some sense is, uh, you know, are you personally uh, comfortable not knowing everything? <laughs> um, you know, in, in, in sometimes in large companies, large groups, what tends to happen is there's a lot of communication. There's sort of like weekly reviews and, you know, project updates to, to be presented to different people and so on. At VMware, for example, you know, VMware, now, of course, it's Broadcom, um, but, uh, you know, VMware when I was there was, uh, I think, at it's about 40,000 people. Uh, and so there are several layers of sort of oversight of the of the business units, right? So you do a project, well, you have to report it internally, you have to report it outside your business unit, maybe something has to be coordinated with other business units. So there's another layer uh, to be coordinated. So there's a lot of um, a coordination that happens. Again, it's not good or bad. It's just at scale, you you you're trying to coordinate the efforts of maybe you know 500 engineers or 2,000 engineers. Yeah, you 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 need some of that um, some of that uh, coordination overhead. At a small company, obviously we don't need it because I can talk individually with everybody daily if I want to. Um, you know, we're only about 20 engineers right now, uh, so that's quite easy, right? Uh, that that part is not the problem. Um, so here, the problem is more. You know, even though you have a small team, the team is actually quite diverse in terms of their skill sets and their uh, experience levels, and more specifically, the type of technology that they work in. Um, so, so a lot of the, and we, we only have one other uh, engineering manager, so a lot of the team reports directly to me. And so, yeah, there's there's kind of this, uh, you know, you just have to get comfortable. Uh, you know, I think most people can do it. There's probably a small number of people who never get comfortable not knowing all the detail, you know. Uh, so you just have to get comfortable with that. Uh, you have to be able to trust your team. And, and you know, we have, a, we have a fantastic team here. So that's a very high level of trust. Uh, but once you do that, I think then you can avoid having to do a lot of oversight management kind of stuff. And you can just trust the team and you can focus on other things like providing good context and things like that. Okay, and that's a very good point. And speaking about the trust itself, right? So, how um, can you can you share a challenging experience you've had while managing remote engineering teams, like, and, and how you dealt with that? Was it like about trust, or there were some other issues? Well, yeah, I think uh, just to maybe take a step back, I think 
I've been working with teams that are in different locations for a long time, um, probably 15 years or so. Um, but usually it has been, okay, we have three sites or we have two sites or something like that. Okay, you have, I don't know, US-based and India-based team or US-India-Australia or you know something like that. Um, and that has a very different dynamic than sort of a distributed team where there are individuals not working in an office, they're working out of their home in different, different geos, different time zones. Uh, and really, of course, like a lot of people, my first experience of that was when COVID hit and everybody kind of started working from home. And um, I think there's probably, you know, uh, one big change from that, which is often people pick up on like level of engagement of a person, of, a, of, a, of, a, of an employee based on how they interact, like what is their body language? You know, are they participating in the meeting? Are they coming to the meetings on time? Or, you know, are they interacting with colleagues and eating lunch with them? You know, you kind of pick up on those types of things and you rely on those things to decide whether somebody is really engaged in what they're doing or not. And obviously all of a sudden, like one fine day, we couldn't do that anymore. <laughs> um, and I think there are some, you know, some certainly some challenges that uh, I've experienced that, uh, to be honest, don't know if uh, we'll ever have a great answer. Uh, but uh, it it came down to sort of really challenging yourself as a manager to think about, okay, how do I really know whether the person is contributing and doing their doing, you know, sort of satisfying their responsibility? Not just are they friendly and are they talking to you every day and showing up to meetings on time, but are they actually producing useful things? And the big insight there uh, to me is that uh, because you cannot see where this work is happening, you cannot see people interacting in front of you all the time, you really have to rely on other signals. So you have to rely on what other people, what people are saying about their colleagues, right? And um, so the, to me, one of the sort of subtle learnings uh, has been you know, really asking people to, to talk to you about, you know, who has been helping them, who has been inspiring them, who has been solving their problems for them, uh, you know, who's showing up when they, when they need somebody for an incident, uh, and really kind of leaning on people to talk about, talk about that, talk about their colleagues. And I think that helps uh, in, in, in many dimensions, because one of the sort of the positive side effects of that is people are thinking more carefully about who's helping them. And it's creating a more positive environment where, you know, where, where people people kind of are seeing how how they're helping each other. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's usually small things. Many companies have this. Uh, we have it as well, where there's a, you know, a team channel on Slack, which is just for yeah. people to thank each other, right? Uh, or to give a give a shout out to somebody. Mm -hmm. uh, this has become pretty common in the in a remote world. Yeah. And it just, you know, the level of activity on those channels actually helps you understand, like, you know, who, you know, you see everybody's thanking the same person, <laughs> you know, or something like that. And over time, you see people get really good at writing this. They don't just say, oh, thank you for being an awesome dude, you know, be like, hey, you really do a good job of this. Or you helped me on this particular thing because you have this particular skill. And that really helps you understand the team uh, in a, you know, in a, in a pretty deep way. Uh, yeah. You know, just to round it out, I think there are other things you learn, like, asynchronous versus synchronous working mm -hmm, styles, mm -hmm. et cetera, especially when you have time zones to deal with. But I think I wanted to share this one because it's a little more subtle uh, thing yeah. that was not obvious to me. And it's only after doing it for a while I said, okay, this is why this helps. This is why this actually works. 
Yeah, and and you've recently talked about assessing organizational health with these four C's, right? Control, uh, competence, clarity, and capacity, right? Yeah. yeah. Can you talk more about this approach? Sure, sure. So, you know, I think one of the things you learn as you go, like, you know, people talk about, okay, what's the value of experience? And I think basically it comes down to you have you start to build some simple formula right you say you take a complex situation and you can break it down in some way that works for you um, there's no standard way to, to break things down uh, but it helps you kind of just assess like what's what's actually happening are, are we are we in good shape how do we deal with you know there's 20 people or you know maybe you have 200 people how do you actually figure out like what's actually happening and which team is is doing well which team is not doing well and it's very easy to look at the outputs you know are they does it look like they're shipping are they having lots of trouble are there quality problems with the ship etc and it's much harder to figure out what's the inputs what's actually happening why are they having these bad outcomes um and uh, so this is just from you know i was trying to think about okay how do you actually figure out you know who's responsible for this thing like if there's a bad outcome who's responsible if there's a good outcome who's responsible and it's you know you don't want to just like oh this engineering manager is not a good engineering manager or this lead is not good or this engineer is not good that's easy um to uh, to fall into that 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 kind of thinking uh, it looks visible it looks obvious oh look you know they're not shipping um so that's where that thinking came from right uh, it's also heavily uh, the the core idea came from a really, really great book. Uh, I highly recommend it. I loved it, uh, called uh, Turn the Ship Around. Um, and it's uh, it's actually by a submarine captain from the US Navy uh, and talking about how he turned around a, a badly performing submarine, right? If for whatever reason, the submarine got into a really bad culture and sort of he talks about how he how he got it out. So many of the core ideas are, are from there. And, you know, it, it it's it's just a way to say okay there are probably at least these four things that need to be healthy for a team to do a good job for example if a team doesn't have capacity that's an easy one if they're just being pushed stretched beyond their limits of course they're not going to do a good job there's no surprise so at least you should ask yourself the question do they really have the capacity to do their job do they have enough people right and similarly competence is another kind of subtle one right if the team is doing something new that they have not done before are you giving them the time to develop the competence or are you helping them develop the competence? You know, it could be as simple as training, but it could be more nuanced, right? Maybe they just need time to explore an area to, to develop some, some competence in it before they can be held accountable for something, right? Uh, and similarly, that's how you go to, the, go to the other Cs as well, right? Where each of these is kind of a thing that says, if you don't have it, there's probably some problem, right? If you don't get to make decisions uh, that impact you day to day, why what is you know are you able to say hey we shouldn't do it this way we should do it this way if you can't do that then how can i hold you responsible for for that that outcome so that's where that thinking came from uh it's just a simple model it's not complete no model is complete but it gives you a kind of a, a high level way to start thinking about it and at least i've been surprised probably you know you will too if you try it a lot of the times you'll see the problem is just one of those things and and there, there might be more problems later, but first you have to fix these basic things. These are foundations. If you don't fix this, the rest of it, you know, who knows? Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't. Yeah, that's, uh, I totally agree. Um, okay, so 
another topic. Um, you, actually, considering your extensive background in the like a tech industry and your current role, could you maybe shed shed some light on your strategy for identifying, attracting, and maybe interviewing those engineering talent in, in your current company, maybe in your previous roles? Can you talk more about this part? Uh, sure. Every company, every business, you know, you have to you have certain attributes that you're looking for, right? Obviously, yeah. Ultimately, you know, I'm in software engineering jobs, and we need software engineers and so on. So that's fine. There's some technical skills that are needed, um, but you need people who can work within your culture. And what I mean by that is not, hey, who do you enjoy having a conversation with or eating lunch with, but more, you know. Again, going back to some of the questions you asked, if you're a remote-first company, globally distributed company, okay, do you have that kind of flexibility? Are you able to, you know, accommodate a few sort of maybe calls at inconvenient times once in a while, or um, are you good at writing? Uh, because if you cannot write, then you know you're relying on constantly talking to people, which may or may not happen in a in a distributed uh, setting. So. The way we try to approach it is, um, first of all, we give the benefit of doubt to the person who's interviewing in terms of, you know, we don't try to decide whether they're going to be able to uh, accommodate time zones or whatever, right? Uh, we just say, look, maybe we'll just assume that you're coming in with good intentions, you will. So we try to make sure they have the information, right? So we will tell them, hey, this is, even though yes, it's in the job description or whatever, we will talk to them about the the way the team works the distribution of the team, where all the people are, you know, different countries and different time zones and so on. Um, and then in the interview process itself, we do try to make the make it as realistic as possible. So uh, we don't try to add a lot of steps, you know, we don't try to do like seven interviews or eight interviews or whatever, but we do try to, you know, try to make the job actually, uh, make the interview reflect the actual work that needs to be done. Uh, so all of the technical jobs, as well as the jobs in, for example, marketing or product, uh, they involve things like case studies. They involve things like a, a, a programming take-home exercise, um, which we actually pay candidates for. So we pay them a certain amount of money. We we allow them to use up to 10 hours to, to work on the exercise. And then, so let's take an example of uh, infrastructure platform engineering role. Um, we actually have a service running in a Kubernetes cluster, and there's some problem, right? And now they have to go in, they have to debug it, they have to fix the problem, they have to submit uh, a PR in the GitHub for to fix that code. They have to write an incident report for that, for that incident that they discovered and, you know, the root cause analysis and so on. And so this helps us assess, like, realistically, how does this work? Because you're not, you may be in two different time zones, so when they're debugging the problem, you're not around, you're sleeping. How do they do this by, by themselves? Uh, maybe by the time they wake up or they go to bed, you're 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 only just waking up. But you need to hand off that knowledge uh, of hey, here's what I've done so far. Here's what I found works. Here's the changes I made. Now you need to take it forward from here. Well, that means you have to be able to write a decent incident report. It has to be clear. It has to be comprehensive. Um, so similarly for other roles, we try to do something that kind of reflects the the nature of the work, and we are looking for these you know, uh, signals that they can, they have the skills needed to do well in our culture. If you're global first distributed remote team, well, you need to be able to communicate clearly. 
because you don't have the benefit of, hey, let's just go to a whiteboard and I'll, I'll draw a picture for you. Sorry, actually, you can't do that. You're in you know, GMT plus six and I'm in GMT minus four. <laughs> We're not going to have that much time to overlap. What do you do, right? Uh, so that's, I would say, the core thing. Like, look for the concrete skills that somebody needs to do well in your environment. Um, there's, of course, other things based on the industry, right? Crypto will have a different skill sets and different kinds of culture than, I don't know, you know, social media or something else, right? So you're looking for some sense of, yeah, uh, there's good. Re there's a reason I like this. There's a reason I enjoy this particular kind of work. This is the type of thing that you have to do in, in this type of environment, you know? And then you try to intentionally uh, bake those things into your interview process. So you're looking for those specific things and you have a way to measure them. So you, uh, in your company, you, you don't have any kind of limitations in terms of where where to hire. You hire anywhere. Right. Uh, we think about it on a role by role basis, um, mm -hmm. and I would say engineering probably majority is in the U.S. Uh, oh, okay. But we do have people in Europe. We have, you know, mm -hmm. it's a small team still, right? Uh, but mm -hmm. we do have people in Europe. We have a person in Canada. We have a person in Argentina. We have a person in Australia. Um, so there is a, a, a fair amount of distribution. Mm -hmm. uh, we tend to open roles globally, mm -hmm. uh, but we are kind of trying to be sensitive to, we also don't want to hire somebody and then put them in a bad position yeah. just because they're in a real outlier time zone, right? Where it's very difficult to get an overlap, for example. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, within within certain, you know, certain limitations, uh, we do, most of our jobs tend to be, yeah, it doesn't matter where you are. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And do, do you find that your, your talent acquisition strategy kind of different based on like locations, right? When you're recruiting in different locations, is it different or the same? Uh, you know, there are some differences, right? We, we are looking for the for the skills. The core skills are the same. Um, but I think in terms of when you think about a recruiter, uh, you know, sourcing some talent, how they approach that on a global level is different from how they approach that if they're working within a geo, right? So for example, there might be certain conferences that uh, a certain skill set, you know, people with a certain skill set attend. Um, you know, how do you how do you find them, uh, and how do you how do you uh, how do you how do you reach them first to present that hey, there is this opportunity that you might be uh, interested in. Uh, how you use sort of social media to to you know publicize your your uh, openings and and the skill sets that you're looking for. So there are some you know subtle differences. Uh, it's difficult to have a very targeted kind of outreach. So if there's a very particular position that's hard to fill, um, you know, it's difficult to have a targeted and global strategy. You know, if you're going wide, you cannot also go deep. It's, uh, you know, uh, it's just the laws of physics. Um, and so, yeah, there's, it's kind of how you use these tools to get in front of the, the right people. There does tend to be some differences. Uh, I think from our standpoint, you know, we don't, I personally am not trying to be the expert in how to do global hiring versus local hiring or something like that. We do try to find folks who think about this every day. And so we work with recruiting firms and recruiters who, you know, who, who have built their strategies for this. Um, and both at VMware, uh, actually at Citrix as well, and here, you know, we do occasionally bring on, uh, you know, contract uh, based uh, folks as well. And that, you know, especially if you work with a contracting uh, firm, like a services firm, 
it gives you you know a chance to tap into it a different way right you get to offload some of your responsibility to the firm that you're working with and they can take care of finding the talent and so on so we do have a few folks on the team uh, they're also distributed one of them is argentina one of them is in brazil i think uh, one of them is in ukraine and so uh it's kind of yeah we get we get to sort of tap into these folks by by working with uh by partnering with an agency uh rather than by trying to sort of figure it all out ourselves awesome um and for for the for those talent who are based maybe like you mentioned in uh latin america or maybe in europe eastern europe ukraine uh what's what 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 should they keep in mind uh while trying to get uh, into companies like zero x labs how they can you know become a part of your company <laughs> yeah so i think uh in crypto a lot of there's a lot of open source activity right a huge 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 amount of open source activity and so the barrier to entry in some way is a little lower uh you can see for example our smart contracts uh in github right and you can you can maybe contribute if you have that if you have that skill uh we do in fact have a person on the team who joined us because um he uh, reported a uh sort of a you can call it a, a, a an exploit uh in the or or, or vulnerability um and so you know it gives you sort of that 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 angle uh, to to get in and and to make yourself uh visible um we have we run uh continuous bug bounties right that's another way to go explore it and maybe you find something really uh difficult right and then we say okay well if you can find this out you you probably have really good skills let's uh let's talk um and of course there's you know our engineers are on you know we have we have a discord and you know obviously we we attend conferences and things like that uh globally and so i would say you know seek seek people out at those conferences go talk to people and share with them sort of what you know what you're learning what you're interested in um and and kind of create create uh, a, a bit of that connection because i think it's easy to say that oh yeah we hire from anywhere therefore everybody has access but in reality there's some you know how do you actually make yourself visible right there's if you're if you if you have hundreds of thousands of people who who could apply well how do you how do you shine within that group and so it is also like the candidates or the the engineers responsibility to go reach out to make the connection to do that upfront work to say okay here's here's an example of what i can do with my skills why don't you take a look right and then you know talk to people at conferences and 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 uh you know uh online forums and things like that to to really make that connection and find somebody who's who's uh taking a close look at your work right and then if your work is good yeah many of these companies zerox included are very friendly to to remote hiring and and so on yeah there's definitely opportunity there i guess i guess we're good thank you thank you very much ashwin for sharing your your insights your your thoughts thanks for for your time we appreciate it thank you i appreciate uh, you're having me on